section 49 of ILIA and the last essays of ILIA. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Harvey. ILIA and the last essays of ILIA by Charles Lamb. The Wedding. I do not know when I have been better pleased than at being invited last week to be present at the wedding of a friend's daughter. I like to make one at these ceremonies, which to us old people give back our youth in a manner and restore our gayest season in the remembrance of our own success or the regrets, scarcely less tender, of our own youthful disappointments in this point of a settlement. On these occasions, I am sure to be in good humor for a week or two after, and enjoy a reflected honeymoon. Being without a family, I am flattered with these temporary adoptions into a friend's family. I feel a sort of cousinhood or uncleship for the season. I am inducted into degrees of affinity and in the participated socialities of the little community. I lay down for a brief while my solitary bachelorship. I carry this humor so far that I take it unkindly to be left out, even when a funeral is going on in the house of a dear friend. But to my subject, the union itself had been long settled, but its celebration had been hitherto deferred to an almost unreasonable state of suspense in the lovers by some invincible prejudices which the bride's father had unhappily contracted upon the subject of the too early marriages of females. He has been lecturing any time these five years, for to that length the courtship has been protracted, upon the propriety of putting off the solemnity till the lady should have completed her five-and-twentieth year. We all began to be afraid that a suit, which as yet had abated of none of its ardors, might at last be lingered on, till passion had time to cool and love go out in the experiment. But a little wheedling on the part of his wife, who was by no means a party to these overstrained notions, joined to some serious expostulations on that of his friend, who from the growing infirmities of the old gentleman could not promise ourselves many years of enjoyment of his company and were anxious to bring matters to a conclusion during his lifetime. At length prevailed, and on Monday, last the daughter of my old friend, Admiral, having attained the womanly age of nineteen, was conducted to the church by her pleasant cousin Jay, who told some few years older. Before the youthful part of my female readers expressed their indignation at the abominable loss of time occasioned to the lovers by a preposterous notion of my old friend, they will do well to consider the reluctance which a fond parent naturally feels at parting with his child. To this unwillingness, I believe in most cases, may be traced the difference of opinion on this point between child and parent. Whatever pretenses of interest or prudence may be held out to cover it. The hard-heartedness of fathers is a fine theme for romance writers, a sure and moving topic. But is there not something untender to say no more of it in the hurry which a beloved child is sometimes in to tear herself from the parental stock and commit herself to strange graftings, 
The case is heightened where the lady, as in the present instance, happens to be an only child. I do not understand these matters experimentally, but I can make a shrewd guess at the wounded pride of a parent upon these occasions. It is no new observation, I believe, that a lover in most cases has no rival, so much to be feared as the father. Certainly there is a jealousy in unparalleled subjects, which is little less heart-rending than the passion which we more strictly christen by that name. Mother's scruples are more easily got over. For this reason, I suppose, that the protection transferred to a husband is less derogation and a loss to their authority than to the paternal. Mothers, besides, have a trembling foresight, which paints the inconveniences, impossible to be conceived in the same degree by the other parent, of a life of forlorn celibacy, which the refusal of a tolerable match may entail upon their child. Mother's instinct is a surer guide here than the cold reasoning of a father on such a topic. To this instinct may be imputed, and by it alone may be excused, the unbeseeming artifices by which some wives push on the matrimonial projects of their daughters, which the husband, however approving, shall entertain with comparative indifference. A little shamelessness on this head is pardonable. With this explanation, forwardness becomes a grace, and maternal importunity receives the name of a virtue. But the parson stays while I preposterously assume his office. I am preaching while the bride is on the threshold. Nor let any of my female readers suppose that the sage reflections which have just escaped me have the obliquest tendency of application to the young lady who, it will be seen, is about to venture upon a change in her condition. At a mature and competent age, and not without the fullest approbation of all parties. I only deprecate very hasty marriages. It had been fixed that the ceremony should be gone through at an early hour, to give time for a little dejeune afterwards, to which a select party of friends had been invited. We were in church a little before the clock struck eight. Nothing could be more judicious or graceful than the dress of the bridemaids, the three charming Miss Foresters on this morning, to give the bride an opportunity of shining singly, they had come habited all in green. I am ill at describing female apparel, but while she stood at the altar in vestments, white and candid as her thoughts, a sacrificial whiteness, they assisted in robes such as might become Diana's nymphs. Foresters, indeed, as such who had not yet come to the resolution of putting off cold virginity. These young maids, not being so blessed as to have a mother living, I am told, keep single for their father's sake, and live altogether so happy with a remaining parent, that the hearts of their lovers are ever broken with the prospect, so inauspicious to their hopes, of such uninterrupted and provoking home comfort, gallant girls, each a victim worthy of Iphigenia. I do not know what business I have to be present in solemn places. I cannot divest me of an unseasonable disposition to levity, 
upon the most awful occasions, I was never cut out for a public functionary. Ceremony and I have long shaken hands, but I could not resist the importunities of the young lady's father, whose gout unhappily confined him at home, to act as parent on this occasion and give away the bride. Something ludicrous occurred to me at this most serious of all moments. A sense of my unfitness to have the disposal, even in imagination, of the sweet young creature beside me. I fear I was betrayed to some lightness for the awful eye of the parson, and the rector's eye of St. Mildred's in the poultry is no trifle of a rebuke, was upon me in an instant, souring my incipient jest to the tristful severities of a funeral. This was the only misbehavior which I can plead to upon this solemn occasion, unless what was objected to me after the ceremony by one of the handsome Miss T's be accounted a solecism. She was pleased to say that she had never seen a gentleman before me give away a bride in black. Now black has been my ordinary apparel so long. Indeed, I take it to be the proper costume of an author. The stage sanctions it, that to have appeared in some lighter color would have raised more mirth at my expense than the anomaly had created censure. But I could perceive that the bride's mother and some elderly ladies present, God bless them, would have been well content if I had come in any other color than that. But I had got over the omen by a lucky apologue, which I remembered out of Pilpay, or some Indian author, of all the birds being invited to the Lynette's wedding, at which, when all the rest came in their gayest feathers, the raven alone apologized for his cloak, because he had no other. This tolerably reconciled the elder. But with the young people, all was merriment, and shakings of hands and congratulations, and kissing away the bride's tears, and kissings from her in return, till the young lady, who assumed some experience in these matters, having worn the nuptial bands some four or five weeks longer than her friend, rescued her, archly observing, with half an eye upon the bridegroom, that at this rate she would have none left. My friend the Admiral was in fine wig and buckle on this occasion, a striking contrast to his usual neglect of personal appearance. He did not once shove up his borrowed locks, his custom ever at his morning studies, to betray the few gray stragglers of his own beneath them. He wore an aspect of thoughtful satisfaction. I trembled for the hour, which at length approached, when after a protracted breakfast of three hours, his stores of cold fowls, tongues, hams, batagos, dried fruits, wines, cordials, etc., can deserve so meager an appellation. The coach was announced, which was come to carry off the bride and bridegroom for a season, as custom has sensibly ordained, into the country, upon which design, Wishing them a felicitous journey, let us return to the assembled guests. As when a well-graced actor leaves the stage, the eyes of men are idly bent on him that enters next. 
So idly did we bend our eyes upon one another, when the chief performers in the morning's pageant had vanished. None told his tale. None sipped her glass. The poor admiral made an effort that was not much. I had anticipated so far, even the infinity of full satisfaction that had betrayed itself through the prim looks and quiet deportment of his lady, began to wane into something of misgiving. No one knew whether to take their leave or stay. We seemed assembled upon a silly occasion. In this crisis, betwixt tarrying and departure, I must do justice to a foolish talent of mine, which it otherwise like to have brought me into disgrace in the fore part of the day. I mean a power in any emergency, of thinking and giving vent to all manner of strange nonsense. In this awkward dilemma, I found it sovereign. I rattled off some of my most excellent absurdities. All were willing to be relieved, at any expensive reason, from the pressure of the intolerable vacuum which had succeeded to the morning bustle. By this means, I was fortunate in keeping together the better part of the company to a late hour and a rubber of whist, the admiral's favorite game, with some rare strokes of chance, as well as skill, which came opportunely on his side, lengthened out till midnight, dismissed the old gentleman at last to his bed with comparatively easy spirits. I have been at my old friend's various times since. I do not know a visiting place where every guest is so perfectly at his ease. Nowhere where harmony is so strangely the result of confusion. Everybody is at cross-purposes, yet the effect is so much better than uniformity. Contradictory orders, servants pulling one way, master and mistress driving some other, yet both diverse, visitors huddled up in corners, chairs unsymmetrized, candles disposed by chance, meals at odd hours, tea and supper at once or the latter preceding the former, the host and the guest conferring, yet each upon a different topic, each understanding himself, neither trying to understand or hear the other. Droughts and politics, chess and political economy, cards and conversation on nautical matters, going on at once, without the hope or indeed the wish of distinguishing them, make it altogether the most perfect Concordia discourse you shall meet with. Yet somehow the old house is not quite what it should be. The admiral still enjoys his pipe, but he has no Miss Emily to fill it for him. The instrument stands where it stood, but she is gone, whose delicate touch could sometimes for a short minute appease the warring elements. He has learnt, if marble expresses it, to make his destiny his choice. He bears bravely up, but he does not come out with his flashes of wild wit so thick as formerly. His sea songs seldomer escape him. His wife, too, looks as if she wanted some younger body to scold and set to rights. We all miss a junior presence. It is wonderful how one young maiden freshes up and keeps green, the paternal roof. Old and young seem to have an interest in her, so long as she is not absolutely disposed of. 
the usefulness of the house is flown, Emily is married. End of section 49. Recording by Paul Harvey.